Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. This morning, we're continuing in an existence series, uh, even though we did it in the middle of the last series. It's one we started uh, talking about. These are the people in your neighborhood because someone had filled out our card in our What Should We Be Talking About series saying we should be talking more about people in the Bible. But the idea is not to just talk about here's the people in the Bible, but also to talk about those same people with those same struggles are peoples in our community. But before we get to that, uh, let me give you a little bit of insight into uh, one of the series that we're going to be doing um, starting next week. Uh, We're going to start walking through uh, what are called the prison epistles. Uh, These are four letters that Paul wrote to the church uh, while he was imprisoned. And we're going to start with the letter to the Ephesians. And I'm telling you now, in case anyone wants to read ahead, start reading through the book of Ephesians, because we're going to spend a couple of weeks walking through that. Uh, Then we'll jump into another topic and then come back to more of the prison epistles. Um, And this, this is important because these were letters that Paul wrote as his last, what he believed to be his last plea to the church, to the body of Christ. Uh, So imagine if you know that you're in prison and you may never get out and you want to write something to your family, to your people to say, here's what you guys need to be worried about and focus on because you realize how important life is. Uh, And this is what Paul did with that. But this morning, uh, we're going to jump into this series. These are the people in your neighborhood. And again, uh, the focus is not just on people in the Bible, but also looking at those people um, and the struggles they went through. uh, Because whether it's someone we can learn from, like Abraham, uh, who we did a few weeks ago, uh, there are also people who we can learn from uh, through their struggles, through their trials, or because they overcame issues, or how God helped them overcome issues, and we can learn from them as well. Uh, So before we get started, actually not before we get started, uh, we're going to jump right in, but uh, here's what I'm going to ask you to do, because we're going to talk about Hagar. How many people remember Hagar? Uh, Yeah, oh wow, a lot of people. Yeah, not very well known, but uh, there's a lot about her that people take for granted. Right? People see the struggles that she went through and the issues, and they know, you know she had uh, her son Ishmael, but they don't know a lot about what she went through and her life. And the same is true from people in our circles of influence. There are probably people in our community, specifically women, who we look at them and we see they're going through issues, either relationship or they had a, a, um, 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 a marriage go bad, or, or maybe they're a single parent, and people will judge them and will talk about them, but they won't take the time to get to know them, or, and this is the important part, to step in and say, hey, how can I help you? Which is what the church is supposed to do, right? So um, I'm going to give you a little bit of her background, uh, but we're going to be in Genesis chapter uh, 16, So if you want to open your Bible to Genesis chapter 16, and while you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little bit of background about her story from Genesis chapter 12. You turn to Genesis chapter 16, and Genesis chapter 12, uh, here's what it says. 
uh, there was a famine in the land, and Abram, that's Abraham, went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, that's Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are, which is something all of us as husbands should say to our spouses, our significant others. We should remind them how beautiful they are. Nothing wrong here. However, comma, he goes on and he says, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is my wife, then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. This is something that no husband should say to their wife. No husband should be like, hey, we're about to go into this restaurant, right? It's a shady place. You're good looking, so they might beat me up to get to you. So just say that you're my sister so they won't beat me up, but they're going to take you anyway. Have fun, right? No one should treat their significant other like that. But here, here's what happened. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. Now, there is something positive in this because at this time she was in her 60s, most likely, right? And so people, not just Pharaoh, not just all these people saw her and said, wow, she is absolutely stunning for a woman in her 60s. They didn't even say for a woman in her 60s. They were like, she's just stunning. We got to tell Pharaoh about her because we know Pharaoh likes a good looking woman. So we've got to tell Pharaoh about her. And so Pharaoh came and because Abraham was like, yeah, it's just my sister. Go ahead, dude. She's all yours. He took her into his palace. Now, Keep that in mind. Pharaoh treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, and here's the key, male and female servants. And most theologians believe that Hagar, who was Egyptian, was one of these servants that Abraham acquired, and he also acquired camels. Now, for lack of a better term, uh, this is illegal, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to use those words because there's children around, but selling of your wife, basically. He allowed his wife to be taken by another man, and in return, he got money, he got sheep, he got cattle, he got servants, he got all of this stuff. Human trafficking, that's a better, yeah, better term than the one that I was going to use. Human trafficking, um, and this, here, here's the thing we got to understand, though. This was an Abraham thing. This was not a God thing. This was not God saying, hey, Abraham, I want you to go down into Egypt, but when they come for you, just sell your wife to them and all's going to be okay. This was not a God thing. This was, this was again, the way that women were treated in that day, and it crossed cultures because Abraham was from another nation, so in Egypt they thought, hey, if we see a good-looking woman, we can take her and we'll give lots of money. In Abraham's culture, if you're a good-looking woman, we'll give you away. This was the way that women were treated, but not by God, and I gotta make that clear because many people read this and they think that, hey, that the lack of respect for women is a God thing, and it's not, it's a cultural thing. It is not a God thing. Nowhere in the Bible does God tell us to treat women like that. Nowhere. 
So the people that do that and claim to be following God, there's a disconnect there. Because even God shows up and God, uh, the Lord, that's God, Jehovah, inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. So God wasn't pleased with this. God wasn't pleased that Sarai, the woman who he was going to use to birth a nation, was sold into human trafficking. He wasn't a fan of it. That wasn't his will. That wasn't what he wanted to happen. So now we're going to look at how this impacted Hagar. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Genesis chapter 16. If you're not already there, very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 16, and this is what we read in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, here's the thing. That word maidservant is not like slave. It's not like someone who's, who's just a household servant. It is, how many people remember the Brady Bunch? Anyone remember? We're dating ourselves, but yeah, because no none of people today do. But in the Brady Bunch, you remember Alice? Yeah, Alice was not a maidservant. She wore a uniform, but she was a friend of Michael. She was a friend of Carol. She was a part of the family. And that's what that word maidservant means. Yeah, you're in a role, but your role is in a part of the family. You're functioning as a part of the family. That's what Hagar was initially to Abram and to Sarah. It was never intended, right, that she would be used as anything. No one intended that she would end up being like Handmaid's Tale. And if you haven't watched that, don't go watch it. But that wasn't the intent, that she would end up getting used like that. The intent was, hey, she's going to be like Alice. She's going to help us with the family. She's going to help around. When we go on vacation, Alice went, Alice went to Hawaii, Florida, theme parks. Alice went everywhere. She was a part of the family. That's initially what Hagar was. But then Sarah says, hey, go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, think about this. This is 10 years later. This is 10 years after she's been working for the family, 10 years after she's been deemed a friend, a family member, 10 years after they have treated her with respect and love. She got to eat with them, travel with them, do stuff with them. 10 years later, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Because think about this, 10 years later, the person who you think of, yeah, I work for her, but she's a friend, suddenly, again, pushes you into human trafficking. Yeah, I know you're a friend, but now you got to go sleep with him. But I don't want to, I'm not asking you. And remember, she's in a foreign country. She has no family around. The only family and people she know are Abram, and Sarai, and so when she becomes pregnant, she starts to despise her mistress, and any of us would if we were suddenly treated like that. Verse 5, then Sarai said to Abraham, 
You are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And just a word of caution, the Lord wasn't going to judge between them because it was never God's will that this happened. Because remember, God told them, I am going to, when the time is right, I'm going to give you a child. But they decided, we're going to do this in our own strength. Verse 7, the, um, or excuse me, verse 6, your servant is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Now, Hagar despised her because of what happened to her. And because she's now that I'm pregnant, like, okay, you put me in this situation, I'm pregnant, I should be the wife. I should be the person who's getting, like, all the accolades. You put me in this situation, so he despised her. But then Sarai started mistreating her. That word mistreating her... I don't think, and I can't find any context that shows it was physical abuse. It wasn't that she was beating her. She wasn't doing any of that to her. But it is a word that means to ridicule, to demean, and to humiliate. And think about this. She started speaking to her and treating her in such a way that a pregnant woman in a foreign country with no other people around and no human resources thought, I would be better off on the streets than living here in the comfort of, of food and water and shelter. That's how bad she was being treated, to where she thought, I've got no other choice than to leave and to run off. The angel of the Lord, in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that was beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. Now, before anyone gets weirded by, why does the angel have this authority to increase her descendants? He doesn't. When you see that phrase, the angel of the Lord, it's kind of understood that that's a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ showing up. Because the angel is claiming to do the same thing that God said he was going to do. So that's why they use the phrase, angel of the Lord, right? And the angel said, I'm going to increase your descendants so they be too numerous to count. And, and here's the other thing, because people ask me all the time, why would God tell her, go back into the situation where you're being humiliated and you're being demeaned, and God says, go submit to them. The reality is God wasn't saying, just go submit to them. God was saying, hey, if you go submit to me, what I'm telling you to do, then I am going to bless you. It wasn't about submitting to them. It was about putting your faith and trust in what God is going to do. Because in verse 11, it says, the angel of the Lord also said, you're now with child. You will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery, and he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. And we're going to see in the next chapter that we look at why he ended up growing up like this. Because people often blame, hey, you didn't raise your kid right. And usually, there's a reason why people go off the rails, right? But verse 13, she gave them this name, to the Lord who spoke to her. Again, this is, she believed this was God speaking to her, not just an angel. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That's why the well was called Ber Lahai Roy, still there between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar bore Abram a son, 
And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. And this is key. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Think about that. Now, she didn't physically see God, but she was like, you see what I'm going through. You understand my misery. You understand my pain, but you promised to bless me in spite of it. Now, turn over to chapter 21. And in Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, it says this. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant, bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. So if they had not mistreated Hagar, God was still going to be faithful to them and his promise to them. So Abraham gave, him the, name, gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah born. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. So think about this. He was 86 when Ishmael was born. He was 100 when Isaac was born. So that's 14 years later. Ishmael has been in that household for 14 years, seeing the animosity between his mother and Sarah, seeing how Sarah probably still mistreated his mother, seeing how Abraham, although he calls him a son, kind of neglected him because he wasn't Sarah's child. And, and, and it gets worse because drop down to verse 8. In verse 8 it says this, the child grew and was weaned, speaking of Isaac, uh, the child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast, probably did not do that for Ishmael. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham was mocking and she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share any inheritance with my son Isaac. Now, she's no longer a maidservant. Before, she was like Alice. She was a member of the family. She was a maidservant. She got to help out with things. She was treated like family. She had her own room in the house. She probably had people who were waiting on her. Now, she calls her just a slave woman. You are just a laborer. You come in, you do your job, and you get out. You're not a part of the family. You're not someone who we hang out with. You do not have dinner with us. You do not dine with us. You do what you're told to do, and then you leave, because that is the way that Sarah saw her. But then look at this, and in verse 11 it says, The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant because God still saw her the way that she was supposed to be as a member of their family. So he doesn't address her as a slave woman. He addresses her as a maidservant. He says, listen to what Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And look at this. He says, I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Even though you didn't listen to me, even though you didn't do what I asked, God said, I'm still going to bless him, the promise that he had made to her before. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food, a skin of water, gave him to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. Now think about this. This isn't like today 
where, you know, you give someone money and whatever, and they go and they get an apartment on their own. This is the desert. He's like, here's a tumbler of water. Here's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. God bless you. I hope you have a good life. And he wasn't doing this to just an employee. He was doing this to someone who was taking with them his child, right? Verse 13, or verse 15, when the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy, remember, he's a 14-year-old teenager at this time, under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. And she probably wasn't just crying because she was going to watch her son die in the desert of dehydration and her as well. She was probably crying because she was like, hey, it's been initially 10 years, right, that she was with them, doing okay as a maidservant, and then 14 years of mistreatment because she did what they told her to do, go sleep with my husband and have a child, and she did it. 24 years of her life end up with her sitting in the desert, about to die alone in a foreign nation with no one around but her son, and his situation, she's probably thinking, is her fault, that she caused it. God heard the boy crying, likely for his mom and his situation as well, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And even though we're not going to spend the rest of the time going over it, God does make him into a great nation. And because of, likely because of the way he saw, the way he was treated, the way his mom was treated, he is a hostile person. And even though he has relatives, they're the same relatives who kicked him out to die in the desert. And so when he does grow up and he does have children, what do you think he tells them about his cousin Isaac and his dad Abraham? What do you think he says about those people? And here's the kicker. What do you think he tells them about their God? Because these are people who are supposed to love other people. These are the people who God's supposed to build a nation with. But these are the same people who kick them out onto the street. But here's the reality. We're not supposed to treat people like that. And I'm so glad that God doesn't treat people like that, that God doesn't limit us because of our past. That God didn't look at Hagar the same way that Abraham looked at her, the same way that Sarai looked at her, the same way that probably, and it doesn't say this, but uh, in a previous verse it says that Abrams had 300 men in his household. That's how, that's how big his, his, his commune, if you want to call it that was. Yeah, 300 employees. Those men probably had other you know, wives and children. So there's a whole village of people watching this woman get mistreated. And when she gets kicked out into the streets, the desert, to die, not one of them says, you know what? I'm going to go help her and bring her into my house. Because all they saw was what Abraham and Sarai saw was her past, 
her issues, and that, hey, we don't want her here anymore. And God doesn't look at us like that. God doesn't treat us like that. In fact, when we come across people, and it doesn't have to be women, but usually uh, it, it, most statistics will tell us that it's women who are the single moms, although there are plenty of single dads. And when they show up, a lot of them are treated, and people make assumptions about their past, about their history, about how they got here, and they judge them because of that. But God doesn't, and God doesn't tell us to. In fact, what we can do to do better is not judge them based on their story or what we think their story is. I want, <laughs> this is funny, even though this is funny because Christy and I, uh, we were looking on, you know, sitting around, looking online, and I saw this story, I don't know how many of you guys saw it, about this fight that broke out at PNC Park at some concert. Did anyone see that story? But Yeah, okay. And, and I had to watch it like 10 times, because I have seen grown men that don't brawl like that. I mean, they were going at it. And this little tiny girl comes in, she starts whipping people around like it's nobody's business, and everyone assumes, I can look through the comments, that, oh yeah, she had to be the drunkest one, she had to be the worst one, she had to be one of the people that started it, yada, yada, yada. All these people made the assumptions, and then they actually found her and talked to her, and she was like, no, none of that's true. They were messing with my mom, and I wasn't having it. So many people just judged her based on looking at the scene instead of actually asking, hey, what was the situation? And, and we're not told, and this is, what, this is one of the reasons why, this is the Amplified Version, Jesus makes it crystal clear, be honest in your judgment. Do not decide at a glance superficially and by appearance, but judge fairly and righteously. And people say, you as Christians, you're not supposed to judge. Yeah, we're supposed to judge, but we're supposed to make some versions say a right judgment, not just based on a situation, not just based on a YouTube video or some picture that we saw. We're supposed to, hey, I, I, I don't know about that because someone asked me last week about uh, some scenario, a political thing, and they were like, don't you think this is true? And I was like, I can't judge because I don't have all the facts, so I don't know if it's true. And that's what we're supposed to do. Hey, I don't have all the facts, so we're not supposed to judge people. And in fact, we're supposed to get to know them despite their story. Even if they are the single parent, even if they are, uh, did work, make mistakes, even if they are, you know, initially, they're the ones that caused the separation or they're the one that did the ring thong, did the wrong thing, we're still supposed to get to know them because that's what God did for us. You've heard me say this a hundred times. While we were enemies of God, he sent his son to die for us. He didn't wait for us to get better. He sent his son anyway when we weren't better. He said, I'm still going to send my son to get to know you, to love you, and to die for you. And that's what we're supposed to do. And here's the thing. We're supposed to tell them God's story. Because a lot of these people are in this situation, and they no, no one wants to stay in a bad situation. No one wants to stay hurt. No one wants to stay broken. No one wants to stay in a place in need of healing. But if we know a God who can provide hope, who can provide healing, who can provide reconciliation, shouldn't we share that with them? Not to get them into the building, but to get them the hope, the reconciliation that only God pro can provide. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand as the band comes up. Because we can, be, we, can, we can be one of two people. 
right? We can be the people that looks at a situation and looks at people that are hurting and looks at people that are in need, and we can be the people that says, sucks to be you and go on with our life. We could be that people. Our lives won't change. Our lives won't get worse. We'll have, okay, we won't have done anything technically according to the culture wrong because we didn't step in and get involved. We could be those people or we could be the people that looks at those who are hurting, those who are in need of healing, those who are in need of hope, and we can step in and say, how can I help? And we can direct them to the God that can provide everything that they need because we know that the hope they need, the healing they need, the hurting that they're experiencing can be made whole if they get to know Jesus Christ. So God, uh, we pray for those people in our circles of influence, whether they're male or female, people like Hagar who may have been dealing with trials and struggles and situations, uh, whether they're male or female, we just pray that we would be those people who don't watch them go out onto the streets alone like all of the servants of Abraham did, but we would be the people who go out to them and bring them into our home. Bring them into our circles of influence that would try to help them. We hope that we would be the people that don't judge them based on their story, that we get to know them despite their story, and that we would be the people who would tell them about you, tell them God's story. Tell them that their hope should be and can be in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com, or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you, and God bless.